we always say seat time is king, so sit on down and listen in to Motorsports Tech Talk with your hosts, Brian and Eric. Eric, how's it going? Uh, pretty good, dude. Um, 65 and sunny today in Michigan, so that's beautiful. Um, oh, yeah. Last indoor mini moto race of the season because we're moving outside because weather's good, at least for now. So, doing pretty good. Is that going to be an improvement going outside? Uh, definitely. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not sure I'm doing the mini moto thing outside, right? Because I got the the big boy, like the, the got the R6 and mm, you know all the stuff oh, yeah, I'm yeah. actually going to go race with. But um, I might pick up like a small small super moto bike. Um, you know, and then it, then it's just the generic, um, difference between indoor and outdoor. Uh, like all those indoor car tracks have polished concrete. So there's no grip, you know, whether you're karting or on a bike or whatever you're doing, it's, you have more grip outside. So, but yeah, man, that's, um, you know, today was a good day. So what about you? How are you feeling? Oh, you know, leaving things at the last minute on the on the race car. Got uh, the... You have a race next weekend, don't you? Yes, NCM, National Corvette Museum, NASA Great Lakes. It's a uh, spec Miata. Gonna be, it's going to be a blast. We got 20 people signed up right now, including me. So that's, I think that's the biggest field I've driven in, I think, maybe by one, but... Um, yeah, it's it should be a blast, and because of all those people showing up, I'm making the final push to get my new diff in because I I would like to be I think it'll be a good speed improvement, like I've said before. Um, so yeah, I mean, it yeah, sounds just like uh, it's going to be hashtag lit fam. Uh, quick question yeah. though, you did have all winter to do this. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I did okay. have to do a trans swap, but of course that, I think I spent maybe mm, three to four total hours. Well, if you include driving to and from Ohio to drop it off to get rebuilt and pick it up, <laughs> then it's it's maybe a day total. But um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's just how, that's, that's how I go. I mean, I it didn't help that I finished the sim rig, but then didn't really sim race on it, just ended up playing kind of call of duty a lot instead <laughs> so that that didn't help so uh, yeah note to self don't start playing a video game right before season starts yeah way but, to go, bud. Uh, but i think i think i'll be able to get it in i mean worst case is i don't and the car the car's mostly ready to go so mm-hmm. you know i just run the same diff that i was able to get my first win on uh last year at ncm so at and it looks like a little bit of rain on Sunday, so maybe maybe I can get some deja vu going. Hell yeah, sounds good. But but yeah, so but uh, in other news, the podcast the, that we're speaking on right now, hmm. uh, we're going to be talking about turbos and superchargers, or I guess force induction uh, in general. Yeah, all the boost. I love boost. 
I don't, who doesn't, right? Like, I don't know. The only people who don't love Boost is because they're jealous that they don't have it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. They, and and maybe people who just, who just blew up their last engine because they had too much Boost, but <laughs> I don't know. They'll, they'll get over it. Yeah. They'll love they'll, it again. Exactly. The people who blow up their engine from Boost still come back to having Boost. It's just those yeah. silly people who spend significantly more money building an NA engine with significantly less power that don't like boost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I mean, NA has its merits, but which we can get into. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about boost. Um, so there's superchargers, turbochargers. Um, we'll kind of split that up. Uh, I, I guess a, a good place to start is just the concept. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, we, we've talked about engines before, and we're going to assume you are aware of some basic things. Um, so you have a cylinder, and if you can push more air in, then there's more oxygen you can burn, um, which means you will need more fuel. So there's you know more that goes into it than just slapping on some sort of you know hair dryer. Um, but the general concept of boost is you're shoving more air in, which is just more oxygen. So you get more fuel and you get just more stuff in the cylinder, more power. Right. Yeah. And for every, every 14.7 PSI of pressure above uh, ambient pressure you get in there, it's basically doubling your displacement effectively. Mm-hmm. However, there there is a little there's there's some losses and and then the the, the added temperature will, which we'll get into, but uh, so you won't get you won't always double your power for every every roughly fifteen psi. But I mean, but that's that's how you can get that's how these some of these guys doing four cylinder drag race engines are getting over a thousand horsepower out of like two liters. Right. You know, it's they're just cramming it in there with as much pressure as they can before things go south yeah yeah um and i I guess just to touch on it uh the reason you're saying doubling your power at that specific psi is because that's atmospheric so you're just think about the air around you you doubled the pressure of you know in the scenario of ambient air right would be the equivalent so right that's where that number comes from so yeah, so you can simplify it by just converting to bar. Uh, mm-hmm. So every every extra bar is an extra, basically, doubling of the power. So, and and because of that, you can really get get some crazy gains as you get to the bigger engines. Like if you if you're starting with like an eight liter Viper engine and you put yeah. you only putting a couple pounds of boost, it's all it's. I mean, it was already how much like six hundred horsepower or something, uh, or five hundred. Yeah, probably five something they're surprisingly low but yeah uh, yeah i mean but if you get if you get well, 15 psi on it <laughs> you're already <laughs> almost to a thousand basically yeah dude nice and easy <laughs> so um i guess you know uh we understand we're throwing more air in uh maybe before we get into the hardware of the the boost systems and just say that, you know, with the more air, you need more fuel. 
So people generally upgrade their fuel system. So that'll be bigger injectors, um, maybe some sort of fuel pressure regulator, depending on how that is on your car, uh, bigger fuel pump. And that's, I guess that, that's, that's just the generic approach. You know, that's, that's the minimum of what you need there. Um, you're going to throw in a wideband O2 sensor in your exhaust, uh, wideband just means you're reading a longer or a wider range of, um, oxygen in your exhaust, uh, a narrow band or what's on most cars because they're already tuned for exactly what's in the car. You're ready to go. You don't need to be able to see these differences and they're much simpler, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. so you, you get the wide band, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you can, you'll end up changing your timing and your AFR targets. I suppose we can get into that after we talk about turbos and superchargers. Um, get into different fuels later, real, maybe. I guess real quick, um, I guess a couple other considerations. Uh, I've, talking fuel system, uh, I, although most cars I think have them, the even naturally aspirated, but having a uh, basically a rising rate fuel pressure regulator is very important um you need you need the basically the boost pressure to be offset basically it'll it'll have a vacuum or pressure source going to the, the fuel pressure regulator and it'll increase as pressure as boost pressure increases or decrease in in vacuum um but uh the important thing is that is that it keeps the pressure uh that the injector is seeing uh constant so you know, if the air entering entering the cylinder is at 30 psi of boost, so 30 psi above that ambient pressure, uh, then you need the fuel pressure to kind of compensate uh, for that increase in pressure, so that through the boost range, the uh, the fuel is is being metered properly, basically, or else the ECU really would be very confused by everything changing constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Uh, I mean, yeah, we, we can, I mean, we could get into it now. Um, just usually you need a, a higher air fuel ratio or I guess more fuel, but a, a lower number ratio. Uh, so, you know, closer to 10 to 11 to one potentially on boosted engines, just cause, uh, the higher pressure can lead to a lot more knock, uh, so it's more, and as well as the higher temperature. So part of it is you're, you're adding more fuel to cool the, the higher uh, intake temperatures and then also it's it's to kind of allow for uh, uh, a little more resistance to to knock basically but um, but I guess real quick it, to put push it back a little further the reason why the the intake temperature is going to get so hot is because as air is compressed compressed um, the one of the byproducts is uh, is higher temperature so it's kind of on that you know Bernoulli, kind of uh, some Bernoulli uh, principles there. Uh, as as you're increasing that pressure, something has to offset it, and it's going to be since it's the same volume that we're talking about, at least the displacement of the engine. Uh, then temperature has to be the thing that uh, that increases. Right. I guess. Yeah, I guess more we're talking about the volume of the compressor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the PV equals NRT thing, right? So. Yeah. And R and V are not changing, so it's P and T. She got. 
Yep. So. Yeah. So, so the byproduct of that is is uh, temperature, which you know there's there's ways to combat, we'll, which we'll get into, but um, but ultimately, uh, I guess what what I'm trying to get to is you need more fuel or even a high, uh, even lower air fuel ratio. So that's more fuel per you know per unit of air in order to compensate for those higher temps and that mm-hmm. higher boost pressure. Um, right. Yeah, and I and guess then, I guess. W- uh, just on the thermal thing. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's all right. Um, yeah, just on the thermal thing, we're, we're talking about having more air going into the engine, so that T is going up, uh, you know, which is what you noted, but the T is also going up when the air is being initially compressed by our, you know, I'll just call it a pump, whatever it is, turbo, supercharger. Um, so to is a compounding effect. Things get uh, boost really makes things hot. So um, you know, yeah. it's, it's a couple different places. Yeah, and then I guess one yeah one last thing I wanted to get to on on pressure pressure wise is uh, uh, one thing I I found interesting that I learned uh, a few years back is uh, yeah you can start getting into issues with. Uh, with valve float with high enough boost pressures because basically it, it, it's almost like the 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 pressure inside the cylinder is holding the valves shut so uh, sometimes i mean you already if you're already doing a bunch of engine mods and trying to get a lot of extra horsepower your priority doing cams and and valve springs and stuff like that but one thing to note is if you're going kind of going big you got to be careful with uh with keeping those just having stock valve springs in there Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was interesting that I learned a while back, but, um, but yeah, otherwise like that's, but those are, those are all kind of the main principles of the, of, of the turbocharging slash supercharging, I guess, force induction. So I guess then we can get into those, those two major hardware groups. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, although they're in my humble opinion, not as cool. Turbos are definitely more popular. So uh, why don't you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah. So the is so the the main difference between the two is basically whether it's mechanically driven or exhaust driven. So the exhaust driven version is is known as the turbocharger. Um, so what's nice about these is that uh, they're using kind of waste energy uh, that's already. Uh, you know, the exhaust is, has already been used. It's, it's been your, your engine's combusted and now it's just getting rid of the, all these hot spent gases. And now you get to use that extra energy that kind of, that they have left that's left in it, uh, to then spin a turbine, uh, which is then connected via a shaft to the compressor. And then that compressor is what's doing the, the, the boosting. So, on on that compressor side, you have an intake just like you would normally for the engine, but instead of going towards like the intake manifold that it normally would on a naturally aspirated engine, it's going straight into the turbo compressor. And then there's an outlet there that has the now compressed and pressurized gas uh, or air, uh, just air mix, just just air at this point. And then that can either go right into the engine if you're I don't know if you're doing methanol injection or something, but, uh, or, or very low boost. I know the, uh, I'm 
yeah, I've talked about the the Starion a bit here as I'm in the very very long slow process of building one for Champ Car, but uh, the the original uh, the first couple years of it had no intercooler, so yeah, it just went right in. But it was only it was only like four or five psi of, of boost, almost almost not even worth it at that point. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so but most of the time you're gonna get into an intercooler and. Intercoolers are, are very common with both turbocharging and supercharging, but I think for the most part, for any modern engine, you will not see a turbocharger not paired with an intercooler. Uh, so the intercooler is just an, a heat exchanger, an air-to-air heat exchanger most of the time. It, it can be air-to-water, um, but most of the time it's air-to-air, so you just have the hot compressed air going through on one end, and then through the core, uh, you have your ambient air flowing through and cooling down that uh, really hot compressed air and trying to get it back towards ambient temperature. Now, you're never usually going to get down to ambient. I mean, obviously, you'd need quite a lot of flow and maybe just the air to not be very hot going in to get it to ambient. But ultimately, it's still going to be higher than ambient. Um, But at least it'll get it a lot closer. Uh, I guess to give you perspective, I mean, some... Uh, depending on where you're operating in the turbocharger's kind of efficiency range, you could see as much as uh, 150C, which in F is, what is that? That's over, it's like over 300, I think. Yeah, it should be over 300. That's huge. That's crazy. So it, it can be, it can be very hot. Very, very, very hot. So, um, uh, so you definitely, definitely want to cool that off before it goes in uh goes into the engine so um so yeah that's why you have your intercooler and then from there it goes back to kind of where you'd expect to see everything uh you, you have your throttle body and take manifold and all that so the rest of that's the same as kind of what we went over in the our first engine episode but uh, you're just adding honestly quite a complex system of of tubes just like the internet <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of it is a lot of extra hardware, and and then on top of that, you you have a a lot of a lot more hot things. You have the turbocharger itself gets very hot, obviously, since it's connected to the exhaust. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has kind of a greater area to radiate around to things, um, and then you have these hot, basically hot intercooler pipes too. Uh, and then you add another heat exchanger to the mix, and you know, in front of your radiator most of the time, and yeah, it's just it it quickly becomes a, a temperature issue, which is you know we'll, which we'll get into I think uh, once we go through both the turbo and supercharger. But uh, comparing to naturally aspirated engines, it's kind of the biggest downside. It's just you you have a lot of thermal issues to to think about now. Oh yeah. But um, but I guess other considerations with the turbocharger is it usually it needs to be oiled. I mean, not usually always needs to be oiled. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Very important, very important. Um, so getting that oil source in, in a car that never had a turbocharger can be a little difficult because it was never designed to have it because usually it needs a very specific pressure, um, which depends on what type of turbo it is. So I guess I can get into that real quick. You have your your bearing, uh, your center bearing that's supporting the, the shaft that's connected to turbine and, and the compressor. Uh, that center bearing is usually either ball bearing or a journal bearing. So your journal bearing being very similar to your engines, kind of rod bearings and 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 
Well, just your your standard uh, kind of oil. You know, you get your oil film on a. Usually, it's a a softer material like a bronze, I believe. Um, but you have that that kind of a oil uh, oil lubricated bronze bushing that that's the shaft is riding on. Or with your ball bearing, you have your your you know your balls within a you know within a race, and those you know those can be. They're still oiled, um, but usually a lot lower pressure. Um, so journal bearings usually need more pressure uh, than ball bearing uh, turbos. And if you if you put too much pressure into a ball bearing turbo, oil pressure, uh, sometimes that can actually create some problems. You can blow out the seals on the ball bearings and uh, things like that. So so finding the right uh, pressure feed can be a, a little tricky. On, if you're if you're starting with a turbocharged car, it's usually a lot easier because you kind of you know what turbo was on it. So and uh, just real quick though, um, I mean outside of demanding different oil pressures, uh, is one of those better than the other? Generically? Oh yeah. So um, generally, people will prefer the ball bearing turbos. I mean it's. If you think about it, instead of having this kind of long journal with hot, like a large surface area on the, kind of dragging on the shaft, instead now you just have usually two ball bearings with that really small contact area. So there's going to be a lot, a lot less friction with the ball bearing. Um, so it can lead to better response and, and kind of, uh, you know, spool up time as they call it. Um, so generally ball bearing is, is better usually more expensive. So, you know, you you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does depend on your application. I think for any sort of form of racing where transients are very important. So road racing, uh, autocrossing, uh, really anything short of drag racing for the most part, drag racing, you can get away with journal bearing. Um, and I think it's easier for them to package a, a large journal bearing than it is very, very large ball bearings for those like 4,000, 6,000 horsepower, crazy pro mod or, you know, those, those crazy engines. So sometimes you only see journal bearings in the very, very big turbos. Um, and I don't think they really have too much of a, a, a disadvantage in that condition because, they have automatic transmission, so it's or sometimes no transmission, just like a, cl- a clutch. Uh, so there's never any like on-off throttle kind of thing, and usually they're they're stalled up on the torque converter if they're if they have an auto trans, and basically everything's good to go, everything's boosted up, and at that point the the bearing doesn't really matter. So um, so generally, ball bearing, and we talk a lot of road racing here. Ball bearing is usually going to be kind of your better bet, but it's usually mm-hmm. going to cost more. Okay. So I guess continuing with the, the oil system, obviously you also need a drain, which usually goes right into your oil pan. Um, you want that to be kind of pretty large because uh, you really don't want any, uh, it's kind of, you don't want it to get all backed up sort of. You, you need to get it all, all out of there as, as fast as you get it in. So, Usually the drain needs to be pretty big. Um, And then the other thing that uh, some turbos have and some don't is water cooling. So uh, basically whether or not you're water cooling that center section as well. Uh, Generally, it's definitely recommended um, with the biggest benefit being uh, basically when you stop, uh, 
when you turn off your car after maybe say you're doing a track day and everything's getting super, super hot. And then you just turn off the car. That oil is no longer flowing through the bearing housing. And it's just kind of sitting there in this really, really hot exhaust, you know, exhaust heated bearing housing. And, uh, it can cause the oil to kind of coke up in there and it, and then eventually lead to a failure. So, I mean, you can, you can avoid that by just letting your car idle for a very long, you know, if in a track day scenario for quite a while after you get off the, get out of the track. But for the most part, definitely would recommend water cooling. And it's any, any car that, you know, from the factory that comes turbocharged, it's going to have water cooled bearings. Um, it's really only like kind of the cheaper aftermarket turbos that, that might not have it. And, Maybe in like a drag racing situation, it's not as not as needed as long as you know the to cool everything off before you shut it off. But that's kind of that kind of outlines the overall kind of turbocharger system. I mean, you also have um, a blow off valve. Um, you have to relieve uh, basically when when the throttle closes. There's kind of an, a buildup of pressure between the turbo and that throttle plate, and it has to go somewhere. So having a blow-off valve or a bypass valve, I guess they can sometimes get interchanged, but they're they're technically different things. Um, basically, uh, you need to relieve that pressure. If not, it'll it'll cause uh, surge, which could, in its worst case, snap the turbo in half. Basically, the the shaft <laughs> in half. But in its in its, I guess, best case, it just makes weird noises and and causes some stalling of the uh, compressor. But, Are those those noises um, yeah, like, that everybody I guess quickly, likes to imitate? Oh yeah, that's I mean that's that's why uh, Go Turbo is for the the whoosh spoosh, uh, whoosh. This two 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 two. Yeah, those <laughs> those uh, very nice noises. So, which you can get with both the blow off and the bypass valve. Uh, the key difference being the bypass valve recirculates it back into the intake. Uh, since usually that's already, at least in a mass airflow system, it's already metered air. So if you just shoot it off in the atmosphere, then it's kind of air that was the engine's accounting for that's all of a sudden gone. Um, so usually you, you'll see it in bypass. But if you have the good old speed density, which I forget if we got into in the the last engine episode, but basically it's 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 a control strategy based off of manifold pressure and uh, temperature. Um, if you have that set up, then you can just blow all that air into the atmosphere for even louder whooshes and, 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 you know, whistles. Yeah. So that, um, I guess before you jump onto like wastegates, um, so that, uh, when you hear like some blow off valve noise, but then you hear the I hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> when you hear that noise, is uh, is that actual surging, right? Is that because the blow valve um, isn't relieving enough air, or what's after the psh, it could. what's what's going on with the the two 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 part? <laughs> yeah, generally, if it's just a, psh, uh, I hope that wasn't too loud. Uh, after that, uh, 
it's that that's usually all you should get in a kind of a properly functioning system. Mm-hmm. So it, it could be two things. Yeah, it could be that surge that I was talking about. Um, and that's going to be based on, it's going to be based on, I guess, maybe the blow valve not being big enough, I think. I guess I've never had this problem. It's it's so it's hard to kind of for me to diagnose it. But the other thing which I I've had before where is basically there's there's a spring within the uh, within the blow valve that's based on the uh, the boost pressure you're running. So if you if you start to run too much boost pressure, um, it could just be the 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 blow valve is kind of cracking open, uh, and as you're letting off, I, I guess. That's a different thing then. I guess if you're running too high of a pr- spring pressure, then I think what'll happen is it'll it'll only open slightly at the very high boost and then it'll kind of keep opening and closing. So okay. that that's more of a blow off valve setup issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could also be surging as well. Um, okay. But I don't know ex- exactly what causes that. But so it's generally not not a good noise although we all think it sounds cool. So Right. You know, like I guess, you know, you can, you can go for that, I guess, if you want. Um, so, so yeah, I guess, uh, to finish off the blow off valve, it, uh, it does have, it usually has a vacuum line or a pressure line, depending on whether the throttle's closed or not, uh, that goes to the intake manifold and that's what tells it to open. So as soon as it, basically, as soon as it, uh, throttle closes and the intake manifold goes into vacuum, it then, uh, then that vacuum also goes to the diaphragm of that blow valve and kind of assists it in opening. So it creates that big pressure difference between the two. So, um, yeah, they're relatively simple devices, but they can be messed up in many ways. Like I said, the wrong, wrong spring pressure, uh, not a good vacuum source or too small of a vacuum source. Uh, and then just leaks, leaks can be everywhere, whether mm-hmm. it's in- internally or externally. Um, to that blow off valve. Uh, so, and then in general, just leaks are your boost leaks are your biggest enemy when it comes to, uh, turbocharging engines and, and supercharging as well. Um, but maybe a little more common in, in turbo engines. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, so that covers, I guess the, the colds or the, the pressure side, the, we call it cold side because it's still very hot, as I said, but it's a lot colder than the exhaust. So then your hot side, you kind of have, um, you also have a similar device, but in this case, it's um, it's known as the wastegate, uh, and it's doing a different job. So if the wastegate wasn't there, uh, as your as your exhaust uh, flow increases as you go to higher RPMs, you'll basically get to a point where um, you have too much exhaust per the kind of the, the the turbo i guess basically there's there's too much exhaust to that, that doesn't need you don't need it anymore to spin the turbo at the speed uh, and for the pressure you need so you need to start bypassing the the turbine basically uh, so the wastegate can usually you'll hear it uh, they'll either say internal or external when they say internal it's usually kind of integral to that turbine housing uh, and then it'll just have kind of an external actuator uh, that'll be usually mounted to the compressor side of the turbo. And then I have a rod that's opening and closing uh, that wastegate. So, and that'll also be controlled by a, 
in this case a pressure source uh, so usually not vacuum so this will be uh, on the usually you get source from somewhere on the the pressure side of the turbo so between the turbo and the throttle body um, and that will basically be the reference for it to whether it opens or closes so once it gets to a certain pressure it'll then push on that diaphragm whereas with the blow valve it was pulling on it kind of in vacuum uh, the once you get to your target boost pressure it'll push the, on that actuator open up the wastegate and then regulate it that way um, and then of course there needs to be a spring in there that kind of uh, prevents it from just opening immediately uh, as soon as there's any boost. So based on what spring you have in there and that boost source, uh, that's when it starts to open. Uh, and then the other method is what people call external wastegates. Uh, those can be mounted in a couple different ways, but most commonly you'll find it on the exhaust manifold right before the turbo. So it's doing the same exact thing, but it's just an external part that you can add kind of yourself uh, that's not integral to the turbo and potentially higher flow uh, which can be a disadvantage of the internal wastegates but um, not always and you can make an internal wastegate flow quite a bit it's just whether or not it's designed for that um, but with external you're kind of more flexible uh, and in that case you kind of add this separately and then have a pipe going basically from your exhaust manifold to the wastegate and then it'll exit either uh, pass after the turbine so in your kind of downpipe uh, uh, into your main exhaust uh, or you can be hella cool and just vent that thing to atmosphere and have your screamer pipes as they're called um, you know that's it's it's another thing it's a preference I guess uh, whether or not you want to do that of course that's not most EPA friendly way of doing it, especially if you don't have any cats on your car. If you don't have any cats on your car, then it doesn't matter either way. It's all <laughs> just shooting out there. Yeah. Um, but if you did have a cat, uh, then that's that's not that's not no bueno for uh, for the the emissions. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, yeah. So and it's the screamer pipe can be good in that it doesn't reintroduce that exhaust back into your flow and kind of mess it up post uh after the uh, the turbine outlet so there can be some advantages to it but then you just have another pipe you have to manage the heat from and right you know, it's it can go either way i i think it's cool and <laughs> it's it's uh, but most of the time you can have it reintroduced into the exhaust without much kind of detriment so that's the way i would prefer it honestly i mostly prefer the internal wastegates because it's all kind of integral and you know vec don't have extra parts but on on stock turbos it can quickly become your your kind of big uh your big bottleneck in that system uh, if you're just adding a ton more boost but we can get into that a little bit later um but i guess just to finish it off uh but yeah i mean the as far as hardware that, that after your wastegate you kind of that's kind of you have the exhaust coming off of the outlet of the turbo and that's that's just going where it normally would to your muffler or, or maybe not or uh, so that that kind of finishes it off um, with I guess the the last thing they might add to that system is what we call a boost controller um, so as I was saying with that wastegate you have a spring in there and that's based on that spring that sets your kind of target boost and then once it gets into there, the, the boost pressure kind of over overrides the spring and opens the wastegate. 
but of course that only leads you to that that makes you need to change the spring every time you want to make a boost change so one way you can kind of manipulate that is you add a boost controller uh, they can be just simple mechanical uh, boost controllers or uh, kind of your electronically controlled but they both work this work the same way uh, basically it's just a little bleeder uh, kind of a bleeder valve that is it's kind of manipulating that boost source that's going to the wastegate and by bleeding some of that off you kind of delay that opening by you know maybe before you know once the hose you know the 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 source got to 10 psi it would open but now by bleeding it off maybe it has to get to 20 psi before there's enough pressure to overwhelm that bleeder valve to then push on the wastegate so the the mechanical style ones are usually just a simple knob that uh, opens and closes it kind of a needle valve um, which will change that that you know how much it bleeds and then the other other version is just a little solenoid that will basically do the same thing um, but then can be controlled by your ECU uh, and so it can you can adjust that bleed rate the nice thing about those is you can change your bleed rate uh, through the rev range so maybe you know it can compensate for uh, maybe some boost spikes and, and then maybe try to add more in the top end or pull out boost towards the top end or you know it can get into a lot of crazy you know and cool strategies boost boost by gear and, and that kind of thing to try to limit wheel spin but so electronic boost controls definitely uh has has a lot of advantages but then of course it can add some some problems in your system but for the most part they're they're pretty robust so um but yeah whew, i just yeah, kind of yeah. went off there on on turbos <laughs> there so it's, it's one of my favorite things yeah well i mean we'll uh we'll get into it a little more later down the line we'll we'll oh i get maybe even closer to more engineering about sizing all this stuff and what to pick and why and maybe you can tell us about I, you know, I hear some turds talking about changing housings, but not compressors or vice versa. And you know, maybe you can give us some more insight to that. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. But Sweet. for now, we got to get in the superchargers. Yeah. The uh, objectively better uh, boost <laughs> device. Yeah. Um, so superchargers, um, as Brian had already mentioned, um are driven by the engine um so i guess before i get too far into the supercharger generally this means you're gonna have a belt from the crank somewhere on the engine driving your actual supercharger you know your boost device in this case um some things to keep in mind here is this will be parasitic now um, you know, it takes power to turn, uh, whatever type of supercharger you have. Um, so even though you're not seeing that at the rear wheels, your engine needs to produce that. So, you know, if it takes 30 horsepower to turn your supercharger, cool, you're getting 50 more horsepower out of the supercharger, you know, whatever it may be. But that means you need to size your fuel system for 80 more horsepower because the engine is getting that 50 extra that you're going to see at the wheels from the supercharger plus the 30 that you're not seeing but it's still generating to drive the supercharger um, 
So something to think about there. And, you know, in general, that's probably the biggest downside of superchargers. But there you go. Um, so there's three main types. Uh, there's roots, twin screw, and centrifugal. Um, I guess roots and twin screw are what we call positive displacement superchargers. Um, so the roots style um, has lobes. Uh, the number of lobes changes generally is just increased throughout the years. You know, an older supercharger will have three. Now they might have four or five. Um, it moves the efficiency map of the supercharger, which we can get into later. Um, but the point is these lobes contact each other. Um, and so they have a, they have a Teflon coating, but they're actually like, there's a very small interference fit in the root style supercharger. Um, and this is what makes it a positive displacement uh, type of supercharger. So no matter what you have on either end, what pressures you're running for one rotation of your, you know, pulley on the supercharger, you have X number of cc's of air coming out, no matter what, because this is a fixed volume. Um, so, you know, uh, these rotors are cammed together or maybe timed, however you want to say that. Um, so as you get from one end of the supercharger where you have the intake to the other, this area between the two um, is getting smaller. So if you think about them interfering in one spot, they're pushing the air right in front of that, right? And that's how they're forcing the air down the supercharger. Um, and then this available area gets smaller and smaller, which is how you're building this pressure. So, so there you go. Um, but for, at least for this type of supercharger, um, this interference fit does also create more heat. So we've already talked about some thermal problems. Here's some more, right? So, yeah. uh, it, yeah, it definitely creates a lot more heat. Um, and maybe another downside, whatever. It's, all of this doesn't matter if you've ever heard supercharger wine, it's, it's all worth it. So, <laughs> you know, whatever, it's fine. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, but because this is positive displacement, it's always pushing out air, um, and it's driven by the engine. So here you're not going to have to worry or you won't have spool like a turbo. There's, uh, you're not spinning anything up. Um, I mean, obviously the supercharger spins faster with the engine because they're directly coupled, but you have boost, uh, almost right away. So there's another benefit. Um, that's why you'll see superchargers on drag cars more often. Um, not necessarily more often than, than turbos. If you just go to an open day on the drag strip, but where you see superchargers, uh, is less road racing because of some of the thermal problems I've already touched on and the parasitic issue. Um, but also, you know, it, it really helps, um, in this drag racing environment. So, so anyways, uh, then I guess you have the architecture of the engine, which will change how you, uh, couple the supercharger output to the engine. Um, 
most people that use it uh, have a V8, right? So the supercharger fits right in that V. The output goes, you know, right into your intake ports and it's beautiful. And that's, that's about it really, <laughs> you know, and just sits right there. Um, you can have a, you know, a four cylinder, like a Miata where you supercharge it. Um, so now you have to route your supercharger from the outlet or your boost pressure from the outlet of the supercharger to the intake of, well, your intake, um, to your throttle body. So, uh, you know, this is where you would install your normal intercooler. If you're doing track days or something, you're probably going to have an air to air. This is going to be very similar to what Brian already talked about with the turbocharger. So, you know, just, you have this plumbing, these pipes, where you're going to put this intercooler. It's, it's all very similar. Um, and then, you know, your, your boost pressure goes into your intake manifold. Um, there's a couple different ways to do this. Uh, some people limit the air intake on the supercharger side, uh, on the intake of the supercharger. So they only have a th one throttle body and it's not in front of the intake manifold. It's in front of the supercharger. Um, and that's a perfectly fine way to meter your air. Um, another way to do it, if you like making things complicated like me, is to have a dual throttle body set up. So you still have your normal throttle body in front of your intake manifold, but you have another one in front of your supercharger. Um, if you still have that throttle body in your intake manifold, you're going to need to have a blow off valve. Uh, for the same reason that Brian mentioned earlier, you know, if you come off throttle, you close that butterfly valve. Now you have all this plumbed area, you know, your intercooler and all your piping that's pressurized. That air has to go somewhere. So get it out of here, right? Get your blow off valve and just shoot it out. And so pro tip, do this. You get the cool turbo noises and the cool supercharger noises. <laughs> I, I don't know why anybody would want anything else. So it's, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Um, now you might be thinking, Eric, if I have a throttle body in front of my intake manifold, um, I'm metering air there. Why do I need one in front of the supercharger? Well, uh, I mean, technically you don't, but it's loud. Very, very loud. I tried it. It sucks. It's not fun to drive. It's so loud. Uh, apparently, superchargers, that mechanism was originally designed to be a uh, air horn. So, you know, you'd warn your small little town of a tornado or whatever the fuck's coming with this thing, just to give you an idea of how loud and annoying it is. So this throttle body in front of it, at least in my case, was really just there for noise purposes. So uh, I would recommend doing that if you're going to go with that setup. So yeah, um, I guess that's those. Um, I'll touch on air to water intercoolers. Um, Cause you'll, you know, again, in the drag racing world, you'll see this more often, um, which is going to be coupled with the supercharger. Yeah, there's a couple ways to do this. Um, so it's going to be a heat exchanger with cold water 
and on for running through one end and your boost pressure running through the other. Um, if you're just at a drag strip, that's all you do. You're only going to make one pass. That's really all you need. Um, so people will have a tank of ice water uh, somewhere in the car and obviously some sort of pump to run it through uh, this, you know, intercooler channel. And that's about it. Um, if you plan on doing more than that, uh, you can sort of see how you would melt this ice, ice water and it would eventually just heat soak. Um, potentially it would heat soak closer to your boost pressure than atmospheric pressure. And if you're trying to road race with one of these and you have only what I described before, um, it'd be better to have an air to air intercooler. Um, you're just going to kind of shoot yourself in the foot. So on some of these systems, you will see another air to water intercooler, which is meant to cool the water in your, uh, system. So you have ambient air going through a heat exchanger, which is cooling your water, which is then going through another heat exchanger, which is cooling your boost pressure air. Um, so that's how that works. Um, I mean, I, I've seen it a lot, honestly. Um, if I was making a pass at the drag strip, I wouldn't bother with the added weight. But let's say you're going to race some ATSVs and you want to spend about as much as a, you know, base model C8 on a cooling system. Here you go. <laughs> Do that. It's great. So <laughs> definitely not a story there. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's how your air to water intercooler is going to work. Um, so that, yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, so it's it's basically just adding kind of another water radiator basically to your to your system. Similar, I mean, the intercooler is gonna your air to air intercooler is also adding another heat exchanger, but in this case, it's air to air. Um, I guess, but real quick, you you can you can do the same. You can do an air to water intercooler, as I kind of quickly mentioned, for a turbocharger setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they can be. I I know the um, a lot of the BMWs. Um, kind of stock BMW, the straight six turbo uh, engines. Uh, they have an air-to-water intercooler. The, the Supra, I mean, since it has a BMW engine, also has that. So you, they can be they can be found uh, that kind of, I think, more commonly nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they both have their uh, kind of trade-offs um, with probably with the air-to-water kind of being a little more costly and kind of more parts and stuff. For the for the supercharger, I think it makes more sense because because you can package it right there uh, between the supercharger and kind of the intake in a, in a V8. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's just yeah two different just another way to do things there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess on the note of having that in a turbo system, it's on the new Astons, which are twin turbo V8s which is mostly an AMG engine. So I believe it's also in the Mercedes. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're uh, filthy rich, you can find these in a normal, you know, car you can buy from the factory. So, um, and you know, Brian sort of mentioned, I, I was talk I had talked about how this will package in something like a Miata. Um, 
Brian did mention, um, you know, this, how you package this air to water intercooler in a V8. Um, and this is really how you package it in any sort of V, uh, configuration, right? The 3,800 SC, which is a popular ish, uh, supercharged V6 from GM, uh, same thing. So, you know, I had mentioned that the supercharger sits in the V and the output goes right into your intake runners. Well, um, whether it's from the factory or aftermarket, you can add this intercooler, which I would think of it as a plate with a very thin, I mean, heat exchanger. It looks like a radiator. It's just incredibly thin. Um, so it spaces the supercharger up a little bit. And then you have an inlet and an outlet for water running through that plate. So it packages very easily as long as you have the room, you know, to, to move that supercharger up half an inch. So it's, it's very ideal there. So, um, yeah, I guess going back to the supercharger, um, all superchargers will have a bypass valve. Um, and that's going to be, that essentially controls the pressure um, on the inlet and the outlet of the supercharger. So when you have low load, which is going to be based off of, um, you know, a reference pressure somewhere, this valve is going to be open um, and it allows the air at the outlet of the supercharger to go back in through the inlet. And that way you don't have a difference in pressure anywhere. Um, you don't need to boost your, you know, your engine's probably in vacuum. So... Uh, that's what that's doing. Interesting note, um, the LT4 engine, so the C7Z06 or the CTSV, um, I don't know if anybody remembers, but GM had some uh, warranty claims at the track about, you know, these cars overheating. What was actually happening here is this bypass valve would open, but the way it was routed internally. The air never went through this heat exchanger that sits between the supercharger and the intake runners. Um, it just went from the outlet to the inlet. So you're on throttle and you have this very high temperature boost pressure. You get off throttle and that very high temperature boost pressure just circulates through the supercharger continuously heating up more and more and more and more and more. And well, that's why they had problems. So, uh, just interesting note there, I suppose. So, mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's that's pretty good for roots. Uh, if you move on to twin screw, the other type of positive displacement uh, supercharger, um, it's similar, I think, uh, to a roots, but instead of having you know some lobes that are symmetric but timed um you have two very different looking um i guess they're not really rotors one's a screw and one's a i don't know what you'd call it but you have a male and a female end they look nothing alike um and the way they build pressure relative to each other um is different right so think of it more as uh threads in a nut rather than these lobes from a front view, 
um, it's now more of a three-dimensional view where you're built, how you're driving this air from the back of the supercharger to the front. Um, but because they do this, they run a very, very tight fit, but it's technically not an interference fit. Um, but it's tight enough to still be positive displacement. Um, they have more, they're not lobes in this case, but I'm going to call them lobes. They have more, you know, uh, features that intersect with each other. Um, so these are actually going to give you a lot of the benefits of the roots, um, but get rid of a lot of that extra heat generation, um, you know, and because it's not interfering as much, it's not going to be as parasitic. So uh, they're, they're better, I would say, um, except they're bigger uh, and they're significantly more expensive. So there are downsides, obviously. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's very similar to a Roots-style supercharger. And uh, so I guess the last one now is a centrifugal supercharger. Um, lots of people call these pro chargers. It's a similar thing with Kleenex, right? Pro Charger is a famous brand, so everybody calls them pro chargers, but it's a centrifugal style supercharger. Um, if you look at one, you're going to say, oh, that looks like the compressor side of a turbo. Uh, it's because it essentially is, right? That's uh, that's all that's going on there. Uh, and on the back, you have a pulley, which is connected to the engine. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's how that one works. Uh, this is, you know, if we're, if we're looking at these as pumps, which they effectively are, they're all air pumps. Uh, this is a variable displacement. So similar to a turbo, you will have this spool time um, so that's fun, uh, because these don't fit in a V anywhere, uh, these will all generally have blow off valves. Um, they're all going to be very similar to the cold side of a turbocharger. Uh, but in this case, they're driven by the engine. So they're still parasitic in my mind it's kind of the uh, negatives of both worlds generally i'm not a huge fan of these uh but they are small uh comparatively right they're significantly shorter than your roots or twin screw style supercharger um so if you're not trying to fit something in a v you know um in between two of those heads these will package much better um, and I think that's probably why they're so popular is they're very simple. Some of them are sealed. Sometimes you have to oil them, I think. Um, but I, you know, they're, they're very simple, you know, um, and they're pretty small as I mentioned. So they're, they're out of every system turbos, you know, there's no exhaust side, right. Um, and superchargers, they're, they're just the easiest thing to package. So, um, that's the biggest benefit there. And with fewer parts, you know, they're, they're not too expensive. Um, so they're relatively budget friendly, but you know, again, uh, worst of both worlds. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I rattled on them there a little bit, but, uh, 
I think that's that's most of it for superchargers. Is there anything you think I'm uh, leaving out? Uh, forgetting? No, I think that I think it covers covers the the basics pretty good. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess next would be I think we could go into yeah, kind of your pros and cons, which we kind of covered throughout, um, but we can kind of list them off here, um, both to between superchargers and turbochargers, as well as to their naturally aspirated counterparts. So I guess for one, um, like, a, like I said before, for downsize of turbos, um, is, I mean, and, and with both of these systems, both turbos and superchargers, you're, you're adding a lot of complexity to the system that wasn't there before. So mm-hmm. more weight, uh, more cost, more space, um, which can usually equal even more weight or, you know, less aero efficiency if you're like a formula one car or something like that. Um, uh, so that's, that's the biggest thing I think. Um, and then turbos tend to be just, just hotter, but not to say that superchargers don't have their own heat issues as we were talking about. Um, but it, it creates a, a lot of extra heat, uh, kind of external the engine and internal. So, uh, your cooling system for just the engine, your engine water cooling system, is going to need to be beefed up. Um, not just cause you're making more horsepower, but also because that air that's entering the engine is now hotter than it was before. It's no longer at ambient. It's going to be, uh, usually a bit above ambient and, uh, you know, maybe 20 to 30 degrees over. So, uh, it's, it's, it's going in hotter and it's just going to need more, more cooling. Um, so now your radiator needs to get bigger and you, you're, then you're adding your intercooler, whether it's a air to air intercooler or another you know, air to water heat exchanger for your air to water intercooler. Um, <laughs> you're now adding more, more resistance, um, and you know, more resistance to the air that's going through your cooling package and then more heat from, you know, the backside of those heat exchangers going into your engine radiator. So there's, there's, it's a big cooling problem, especially in road racing. So, you know, drag racing, they can get away, get away with a lot since you're only going for, you know, three seconds to maybe, you know, 15 at the really slowest to hopefully, if you're yeah, hopefully not if you're boosted. <laughs> yeah. If you're boosted, I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but because of that, yeah, you can get away with quite a bit cause it's so short of a time. Nothing can really heat soak and, um, but, and then maybe uh, that's synonymous with your kind of standard street cars where you're just driving around like a normal person. Then you, you get on the highway and you do a quick pull or something like you don't need anything too crazy, but you need to start considering it though. Um, I know for me and my, uh, eclipse, um, while back, I, I remember I was on the highway. It was a really hot day. It was like, you know, 95, almost hundred degrees. And I had the AC on. And, you know, I had put a front mount intercooler on it, which it didn't have originally. Uh, I had the kind of a side mount off to the side that wasn't in front of the radiator. And, um, yeah, I was driving down. I was just, I was watching my coolant temperature, you know, my coolant gauge just start to go up. So I turned the AC off and it went back down. So I was like, oh, well, I'm right at the limit there. there (laughs) Right at the limit. So even just driving down the highway, it was starting to become kind of a problem there. So. Uh, that's when I upgrade the radiator and then I didn't have that problem anymore. But, um, but yeah, so just heat, 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 lots of heat, um, when it comes to turbos and, and they're, they kind of have that disadvantage to superchargers. Um, cause superchargers, they're only, 
they don't aren't manipulating the exhaust at all so mm-hmm. you know, they don't affect that portion of it but but there still is that need for an intercooler so they have that downside to the supercharger or to a naturally aspirated um still but um yeah and then i guess as far as um downsides for turbocharging um you know generally it's going to be difficult to package in a in a v8 because you're needing to bring your exhaust if you're just putting a single turbo you need to bring your exhaust together somewhere uh where there might not really be space for it um, which Mm -hmm. is why generally in v engines you'll see twin turbo setups um which kind of solve that exhaust routing issue but then add twice as much piping and maybe double intercoolers in some cases um and just lots of just lots of pipes lots of tubes lots of areas to get boost leaks lots of areas to you know just add cost and weight and all that kind of thing all those kind of things so um yeah it's 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 definitely if the car wasn't originally designed for it it can be very difficult in some cars which is why they may might resort to a uh a a supercharger in some cases, um, or, you know, or you just, uh, give up an Ellis swap it or something. Yeah. So they're pretty great. <laughs> but yeah. what about, uh, I guess, what about downsides of superchargers? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think the most notable is the fact that they're parasitic, um, in nature. So, yeah, I mean that that really sucks um when you're sizing everything, right? So some people might not ever uh get to it, you know, uh like notice how bad that is. Um you know, if you have some V8, you can go get an old LSA supercharger, throw it on and call it a day. Um but when you're putting everything together, you know, I mean, if it's 10%, um, which is going to change based off the type of supercharger, um, that can be huge, right? Uh, that's 10% more fuel you need and your engine internals need to be able to handle that, right? If everyone tells you that, oh, your, you know, rods are going to bend at 250 foot pounds of torque at the wheel you can't get 240 at the wheel because your engine is producing you know what what would it be in this case 265 or enough to make 265 at the wheel you're gonna see 240 but your engine's more so you already bent your rods and never got to the limit that everybody else sees um so you know, the the parasiticness um, sucks. Um, yeah, the the temperature can be significant. I mean, all boosted applications are, as you mentioned, superchargers don't have to uh, deal with exhaust gas, which is very nice. Um, before I installed a air to air intercooler in my car. So I figured I was I wasn't running a upgraded pulley at the time. I figured it'd be pretty simple. It's like seven pounds at most. Um, getting on the highway, I broke two hundred and twenty F 
intake air temp. Just nuts. It's bad. I, I made all the piping for my intercooler later that day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, that, that sucks. And then I guess with superchargers, you're, you're going to hit an ultimatum. Uh, the roots and the twin screw are long. So if you don't have a V engine, packaging them will or can be relatively difficult. Um, you know, you need to line the pulley up. So you're not really free to put it wherever you want. You know, the the pulley on the supercharger needs to line up with the pulley on your accessory belt. Um, so that's that. So, you know, then you're, you know, you might be stuck with a supercharger like you might need one specifically from a kit that someone made for your car, which is lame. Uh, you know, if you did an engine swap and now you're putting a supercharger in, um, you know, maybe the supercharger is meant for the engine, but now your firewall's closer or something. I've ran into those issues. Um, so packaging, you're really kind of fixed, you know, which which sucks. The the centrifugal supercharger has the benefit of being small. It's again the belts still need to line up. Um but it has the benefit of being small, so it's much more flexible. Um and yeah, I, I guess, you know, personal things that I ran into was a lot of belt problems, um, even though it came with a kit. Uh I redid most of it partially because I just like making things, but also the kit sucked. Um, you know, the tensioner was on the wrong side. Um, getting so these pulleys had to be like super aligned to not throw the belt. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, then you'd still have to tension the piss out of it. So then belts are consumables. Um, if you don't have an auto tensioner, belts will be consumables. So that sucks. Um, you know, again, a, a lot goes into making sure that's all lined up right. Um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm just trying to think of other other problems I had. Um, you know, it's, if you go too aggressive with the pulley ratio because you want more boost, because who doesn't, uh, your belts will slip. So then you need to worry about that, you know, either more ribs on the pulley or you uh, go to a different pulley where the actual ribs are, um, I guess I would say axial, right, to the center of the pulley, which is the, the type they have on drag cars. So I don't know. It, it's a relatively simple device, right? It's a couple gears mm -hmm. mounted to rotors. Um, but you know, as with adding complexity anytime ever, it's more headaches. So, so yeah, I, I guess that's the downside. And, you know, even in superchargers where the, the boost is known to be a lot more immediate, um, very close to immediate, you're not going to be at the same level as a naturally aspirated engine, um, in terms of throttle response because uh, with a naturally aspirated engine you're not waiting for anything so even though your boost is being generated immediately because it's 
coupled to the engine. It has to go through all this piping into your intercooler, right? And you can tune to make this feel smoother and better, but um, at the end of the day, if you're looking for throttle response, you're not going to beat an NA engine. So even the things that brag about throttle response um, for boost aren't really there, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so there you go, I guess. Temperature, mm-hmm. parasiticness, those are my biggest problems. Mm, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I guess, I guess one thing I wanted to get into is kind of the, the advantages of, of turbos over both superchargers. <laughs> That's not a thing. And naturally aspirated. Um, so, I mean, you were talking about pulleys, right? So mm-hmm. if you want to make a boost change on your, on your, uh, on your supercharger setup, you need to go out and find another size pulley and bolt it up. Uh, it's pretty easy though. Zip whereas, zap. 10 seconds yeah, with an impact. And I'd argue, and I'd argue you should just be similar with boost stuff. I, I've heard a lot of people always argue that like, so as I was talking about earlier with mechanical boost control and electronic boost control, you can change it either as quickly as turning a knob or even just in the ECU, you could have a button or a knob inside the car that you're, that you're changing. Um, but I don't know. One thing I've kind of over time kind of learned is, I don't know, like, why wouldn't you just be running the most boost that you're planning to run? (laughs) (laughs) So, unless unless you're running into problems, the traction issues, something, it is good to be able to tune it uh, quickly. But um, uh, for the most part, I imagine you should be setting it to kind of where it needs to be. Um, But with that that aside where it does become an advantage for a turbocharger system is that like i was saying earlier you can run these strategies different boost by gear uh different boost per rpm uh depending and trying to keep it within the efficiency ranges of the turbo basically and which we'll get into uh kind of an i think in a kind of part two talking about like compressor maps and all that kind of thing uh for both turbos and and superchargers I guess are they called? They're not called compressor maps on a supercharger. They're called kind of, or or are they? They are not. Um, I've only ever looked for them under uh, like efficiency map. Okay. Because it's it's a fixed ratio, right? Nothing's changing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So um, being able in a turbocharged vehicle, uh, especially with electronic boost control, being able to change it kind of on the fly have different strategies use it almost as a traction control or uh i don't know or just yeah i guess for like a street car having a, a low boost and a high boost setting might be nice if you're just driving around you know it's trying to save fuel or something uh you can save fuel using the throttle so maybe that's <laughs> not useful um but maybe maybe in a road racing like endurance racing situation where you need to save fuel to uh you know not give the driver any any ideas of of any more power just since you're going to be full throttle by limiting that boost um you know then you can save a lot more fuel um which actually gives in, goes into a, a downside that I, that I think we kind of miss with both supercharging and turbocharging is fuel economy oh very, yeah it's awful v- very bad <laughs> yeah i mean so 
you know, you're running more fuel, right, with the more air like we referenced, but also like you mentioned in the beginning, um, you're running a, a richer uh, ratio, I guess. You're, you're under the 14.7 to 1, which is the stoichiometric ratio for pump gas to air, right? So we'll, we'll talk about that um, later when we talk about tuning and everything, but because you're running richer, you know, you're running more because you're getting more power, but you're also running richer, so your efficiency is worse there. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, man, I had a E85, which we can get into fueling and why in the next one. But I had E85, and I was filling up every two and a half days. <laughs> and, you know, maybe I wasn't a 100% responsible granny you know, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just putting around nice and slow, but, uh, not a jackass. And for the most part, I was just driving to work and back. It's, yeah. It disappears quick. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess. And, and one thing to, uh, clarify is, you know, because nowadays we're seeing downsized engines and turbocharging used to improve fuel economy of vehicles. So there, there is, as long as you're, but of course, if you're watt, like, so one thing you'll, if you have like an EcoBoost F-150 and you're just driving around town, not towing anything, you will notice better fuel economy. And, and there's a lot more lean burning strategies and everything that, that OEMs are developing uh, to, to kind of help that. But mm-hmm. if you're not really in the boost, you're, it basically you're effectively just driving around with a smaller engine that has less pumping losses, less friction, and that kind of thing. Right. Um, and when you don't need the boost, that's that's where you're getting your benefit. But as soon as you're going full throttle, or say you're towing a, a full weight trailer and everything, you're going to see that fuel fuel economy plummet. Um, so it's, right. it, it just it just depends on how you're operating the vehicle in that case. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's this um, for the same sort of power, the boosted engine, you know, your EcoBoost in your example, um, will be running a little richer and it will be worse fuel economy. It's just the thing is when you're cruising on the highway and you're not into boost, then the V6 is more, you know, it does have better fuel economy than a V8, right? Or whatever else they might throw mm-hmm. in there. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's really just about giving you less power when you don't need more. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sort of that efficiency map we had talked about with the hybrid episode uh, a little a little ways back. Um, you know, you're just getting closer to that engine. You know, that efficiency island for for the V6. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, and th- this is always gonna come back down to um for a certain amount of power uh there's a certain amount of energy stored in gasoline and you need a certain amount of oxygen to burn with it right so no matter there's there's nothing getting out of that right outside of increasing engines efficiency um if you need x amount of power you're going to need x amount of fuel it's fixed there's no 
there's there's nothing extra there right like <laughs> you know there's a there's a you know specific energy of gasoline and that's just sort of what it is um mm-hmm. so yeah you know, it's, i think it's a good point yeah so um but i guess going back back to benefits of turbocharging um obviously the biggest benefit of supercharging and turbocharging is more power but we kind of already went over that um (laughs) uh for the same engine displacement i guess is the qualifier there um so yeah it can allow you to 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 make a lot more power with kind of the same engine that came with your car of course you start stressing things, you're going to start having to upgrade those internals uh, very quickly, especially because mm-hmm. you can ramp that power in real fast. Um, oh, yeah. So it, it's not just, yeah, it's not like free horsepower or anything. So, um, but, um, but yeah, I guess trying to think of more advantages, um, you know, um, I guess specific to uh, kind of professional racing, I think I feel like we've talked about this a little bit, but turbo engines can sometimes be easier to uh, you know balance the performance because all they have to do is just make a quick ECU you know boost map change uh, if mm-hmm. you know if the series is forcing them to do a different boost map. Whereas with a naturally aspirated engine, they're going to change restrictors, which could change the it's going to change the tune of the engine. So now they have to have separate tunes for different size restrictors and a lot of times they'll just come up with some you know 21.633 millimeters or something because it's they use some formula to kind of change your estimate your horsepower difference so you're not going to have that on hand with you mm-hmm. um unless you plan for every tiny little 0.1 millimeter change or something um so, you know, someone's going to have to make that restrictor and then and then you're going to have to retune the engine kind of for that restrictor. So by just being able to change your boost map, it, everything should still be tuned properly with that dip change in boost. So I, I, I think that's part of the reason why we've seen most of the, uh, like, say, GTLM uh, competitors go that way. But it's also because the road cars they're based on have turbochargers. So it's kind of hard to say if... right. If that's why they're doing it, but it is uh, uh, significantly easier, though. I I totally agree, um, and it allows the series to change uh, different aspects of the engine performance, mm-hmm. right? So they can turn down your boost, or you know maybe they can give you the same peak power, but they change the boost curve so that you don't have as much torque going up to it, right? It's um, mm-hmm you know, I guess a, a steeper slope maybe. Um, yeah. So, you know, and yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you said, right? That's, that's how you did it with the Aston is, uh, yeah, those those guys would send us a different boost map. Um, or I guess it's probably the same boost map. They just give us a different file for that, uh, electronic boost Mm -hmm. controller. Right. Yeah. We just plug it in. Boop, boop, call it a day. So, <laughs> same. Yeah, so it's it's definitely nice. Mm-hmm. Um, whew, and then, um, yeah, so uh, otherwise. Have I uh, mentioned supercharger wine? That's definitely a pro. <laughs> I'm not sure if I've mentioned that yet, but. 
I think it's a pro. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I, memory's a little bit fuzzy. Um, mm. uh, but I mean, uh, on the same note, turbocharger turbo whoosh, not just the blow valve, but just the, the hiss, kind of the the hiss you get as, as that thing spools up and you can... You can just you can you can hear the power increase basically. <laughs> you have audible cue, not just from like you know, I don't know. An engine can rev higher but have less power at high RPMs, right? It can start to fall off. Mm-hmm. So you're getting this audible feedback of it revving more. But you know, like my my Corolla that like yeah, it revs to like 6,500 maybe, but like it doesn't have much above five. So it's like it's it's making the noise, but you don't feel it. Whereas <laughs> with the turbo, when you hear that thing get louder and hissier, it's you feel it; it pushes you back in your seat. So that's yeah. that's fun. <laughs> yeah, with uh, uh, but uh, with my blowout valve for my dual throttle body setup, because it was just vented to atmosphere, you could hear it start to close. Because uh, I was referencing pressure on the intake manifold for it, um, so I can go into mm-hmm. that at some point if you want. But yeah, you'd hear it close, so you hear the air uh, escaping and then like not. So on a similar note to what you just mentioned, you know, the boost is there. It's, it's climbing and you hear just, and then as soon as it stops, that blow off valve was closed and you're, (laughs) you're in for it. It was sweet. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it, I feel like it, yeah, some people will say like, you know, natural aspirated engines have the best character and everything, but I don't know. I, I like the, the kind of weird character that that boosted engines can have just because they're they just do a lot of different things um they they have a lot more cues and everything and they mm-hmm. feel different they can they can feel really slow like in a turbocharged engine where you have the boost um or but then they can all of a sudden it ramps up at a higher rate than you'd ever see in a, in a naturally aspirated engine so it like kind of pushes you back yeah, um, I mean, but uh, I feel like with an electronic boost controller, you can get whatever character you want. Um, yeah. And if you want to talk about character, let's talk about uh, the early version of the second gen MR2 or the late 80s Turbo 911, where you just had these awful oversteer moments because of turbo lag. <laughs> That's character. You go from like yep. twenty horsepower to three hundred. It's great. That's a lot of character. That's that's all the character you could want. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but I think that character can also make it difficult in a in a road racing situation to to get it dialed in. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, one anecdote I I, I think of is uh, your supercharged Miata. Hey, where. <laughs> how you had it set up it was basically just a small amount of throttle would be full power and boost and then you'd close it and it'd be none so it's kind of all or nothing there was no kind of modulating great. yeah yeah uh if Which, anybody wants street, to know how to, yeah for on the street or on the drag strip is fine it's great um if anybody wants to know how to get around that or why that was hap- what well, was happening because as I already sort of alluded to, I was referencing pressure in the intake manifold for the blow valve. So that way, as soon as you started to close the throttle, that pressure drops, boost pressure's gone. Um, yeah, I, in a perfect world, if you're a perfect driver, um, 
it's not going to be a problem. You're only going to be coming off throttle when you're braking. But since I'm not fucking Jackie Stewart, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd go from what was probably about 200 ish wheel horsepower to maybe 110 very quickly. <laughs> with some very fun oversteer off throttle oversteer moments. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the way to fix that or one of the ways, the way I would do it is you would time the throttle body in front of the supercharger to be the limiting factor, right? I had the one in front of the intake manifold to be the limiting factor. Um, because if what's in front of the supercharger is limiting it, it's also dictating peak power, right? Cause that is your restriction. That's your nozzle in the system. Uh, and I desperately needed that extra one to two horsepower apparently <laughs> that, uh, not doing that would give you. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why that happened. Um, and yeah, if, if the one in front of the superchargers, your limiting factor, that air will never get boosted. Right. So as soon as you go off throttle, um, yeah, you, you shouldn't have this huge Delta, uh, like we did character scribe it's, it's fantastic uh, it's not yeah, negative yeah, yeah. it was fun in fact honestly that's that would probably be a fantastic setup for any of you nerds who do autocross um because mm -hmm. holy shit you just get off throttle in that car is yawing um <laughs> for for on a full-size track Maybe not the greatest. So Yeah. Yeah. So it but but yeah. It, but it's you know, it's character and it can be fun if that's what you're going for. If if you're trying to win, maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe not. not. But yeah. You, know, you can't you, you you can't win a track day as as much as some people try. So you know, you, it it can just be fun. Yeah. Um but but yeah, I guess I guess the final uh, thing i i was thinking of at least i don't know if you have other other thoughts pros and cons and everything but the final downside i think the biggest downside and we kind of touched on it throughout um is kind of that reliability and complexity um you know adding all these things especially in road racing because road racing and especially on top of that endurance road racing um it's you know, being able to last the whole race is, is kind of, is the most important thing to do. And then you, and then you focus on speed uh, from there. So if, you know, if something's failing all the time, every time, you know, it, it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna help. And there's kind of a lot of mechanisms for it. I mean, it could be as simple as like, um, I forget what year it was, but the 24 hours of Le Mans, the, the, the almost about to win Toyota, uh, LMP1 car uh, had a, I believe it was like a wastegate failure. Or it's like a hose popped off basically of that, that boost source. And that caused the engine to, you know, basically go into limp mode and they, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't finish the way they were leading. It was one lap to go and the whole thing shut down. And, um, you know, so that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't naturally aspirated, although something else on a naturally aspirated engine could break, but those parts are already all there. So, mm -hmm. um, either way. So, um, so there's that, but then as we were talking about heat, 
um, and heat soaking. Uh, so maybe your intercooler seems just fine on this on on track days, twenty minute sessions, that kind of thing. Uh, but when that thing's going for hours and hours and hours, and you're drafting behind someone for a while and all that sort of thing, like that, those intercoolers can get very hot, and then all of a sudden, basically, just almost not work anymore because they're just they're so hot that any air coming in just doesn't have enough to to cool it enough, and uh, and then you just that engine your engine gets hotter and hotter, your engine water gets hotter and hotter, and then just things can start to to melt. That that's what I've seen most often in, in turbocharged at least vehicles um at the track and so so yeah it's just it's it's definitely the biggest challenge uh, in the road racing scene with turbocharged vehicles getting them the last you know obviously you can buy you can go buy a turbocharged vehicle and drive it around a track and probably be okay but it's just as soon as you start adding power and 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 especially in like endurance racing you know track as as we say you know as I said, track day is one thing, you know, going eight hours straight is, is a whole nother, whole nother deal. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's pretty good for, uh, you know, the cons, I, I guess the, the biggest pro to sort of reiterate that I'm sure most people are aware of, um, is as you mentioned, you know, with just another about 15 PSI, you just, doubled your engine's power um you know these things are probably some of the most economical ways to get more power you know you're not going to get nearly as much out of a cam as you will an equivalently priced cheap china turbo right even if you ball out and get like a nice garrett um you know the the power increase you can see will be substantially more you know um so these are it's a good way to just get more power in general um so that mm -hmm. is i guess just to, to throw a high mm -hmm. note back in since we were just riding on them <laughs> um yeah you know it's a it's good cheap way to get power um especially if you don't want to engine swap something right Yes. I suppose you can get a yeah. $500 V8 from a junkyard, but that'll take a lot of work. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, but yeah, I think that's, that's a good place to kind of wrap up. Uh, like I said, I think we'd like to revisit this at some point and go get kind of more into the nitty gritty, mm -hmm. um, of both, uh, both setups, but yeah, well, I think we'll save that for another day. There's always another podcast every week. So that's right. Um, tune in there's always there's always another uh, another time to talk about this so um yeah i mean uh and of course if you want to see when those latest episodes are coming out i mean usually it's every monday but uh if you want the latest updates you can follow us on the social medias our facebook or instagram at motorsports tech talk um i guess a bonus thing uh coming up soon is I'll be live streaming my spec me out of race, assuming the car is finished for it. Um, and typically I do it just to my, my personal YouTube, but I think I'm going to start doing it to the motorsports tech talk uh, page just to kind of throw in some more content there. So, mm -hmm. um, so I should be doing that, uh, the, and you'll be listening to this, hopefully this 
this Monday. And then so basically a few days, you know, the, the coming weekend, uh, I'll be live streaming. So, you know, I'll probably I'll be posting the links and everything to to my personal Facebook, of course, as well as the Motorsports Tech Talk uh, social media platforms. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah. And then and also, if you just have any feedback for us, feel free to reach out to us. But um, but yeah, uh, thanks again for listening, listening in and sticking with us this long. And uh, we appreciate you and we look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Yep. Uh, and I guess quick shout out to the, the last PC race or prototype challenge race, Volt Team 1. So uh, congratulations to those guys. Nice. Yeah, buddy. Nice. So, um, yeah, just throwing that out there. But otherwise, thanks for listening. And uh, see ya.